0: We are 90% by now done with the transition from perpetual to subscription model. So the company was about a year ago selling all our products on this channel in a perpetual model and now everything has switched towards subscription.
1: In the world of business finance, things change fast. Welcome to the Leaders of Modern Finance, a show where today's finance innovators discuss what the future holds. Learn from experts in the field as they explore emerging finance trends, insights, and more. This episode is brought to you by Stamply, the leading accounts payable automation platform. With Stamply, collaborate easily and efficiently with invoice approvers, vendors, and anyone involved with purchases. This helps you quickly resolve issues and questions, resulting in 5x faster approvals. Contact us to see why users love Stamply and schedule a demo at stamply.com.
2: Greetings everyone, thank you for joining us today on the Leaders of Modern Finance podcast. My name is Ben Murray, the SAS CFO, and I would like to welcome Shahar Rabi, CFO at Acronis. Welcome to the show, Shahar. Thank you, Ben. Very excited about the episode. So first, just a a minute or so, tell us a little bit about your background and Acronis.
0: Acronis uh, develops an all-in-one cyber protection solution for environments of any size, solving the safety accessibility privacy authenticity and security what we tend to call SAPAS challenges of the modern world
2: a little bit about your background did you come up through the finance ranks accounting ranks fpna tell us a little bit about your career background
0: my background is from fpna mm-hmm. i worked at a company an israeli company called orbotech for 15 years i started there as an analyst then became the fpna manager then became a vp of uh finance and operations for the largest division there. And after that moved to the U S about seven years ago to take responsibility for what we called the Americas and EMEA strange combination. I know, but from Israel, they looked at the world as the largest portion of the business was in the far east and the rest of it was the west of Israel. So we called it Orbotech West. And that was the Americas and EMEA Americans tend not to understand that, but mm-hmm. that, that, that is how the business was built there. About four years ago, I joined Acronis as the Acronis CFO to help grow the company, improve its valuation, and basically partner with the leadership team to build up the company strategy.
2: Okay, sounds good. So a lot of finance experience there. So that's awesome. So it's always interesting to see how finance leaders, set up their organization, team size, et cetera. So let's dive in a little bit about Acronis and your finance function there. So first tell us, let's set the stage a bit so we can understand the stage that Acronis is at, at, at whether that's investment funding, employee size, just so we can feel, get a feel for the scale of Acronis currently.
0: Acronis is a truly global company with dual headquarters in Switzerland and Singapore with more than 17,000 employees around the world and growing rapidly. My finance team has about 50 employees in a global structure in our offices in Boston, Phoenix, Singapore, Schaffhausen, Switzerland, where our main headquarters is, and Bulgaria. This finance team includes FP&A, accounting, treasury, sales ops, tax, compliance, and recently we added procurement.
2: Okay. Yeah. Really interesting. So a global footprint, about 50 employees in, in your finance and accounting org, making up FP&A accounting, treasury, sales operations, tax compliance, and now procurement. So really interesting now, especially with the remote work environment, you know, what, just a little question, follow up on just that remote team. So you have your finance employees are spread among these different offices.
0: Yeah, exactly. So to start off, even before the pandemic we were remote and about two three of my direct reports are in the boston office but all the other together with me of course but all the others are are spread in different regions and different locations so even before the pandemic we were used to zoom zoom wasn't new to us like many others like found out zoom when the pandemic broke but for us working remote is just a second habit that's why we were also a bit, maybe a bit less impacted by it. Mm-hmm. We were used to it. We were used to having Zoom meetings and conversations and not being in the same office.
2: Yeah, no, really interesting. That, what have you learned along the way with managing a remote team? Because you think traditionally finance and accounting back in the day where you had these service centers with all your accountants in one spot or FP&A in one spot, any tips and tricks for the audience? around managing a remote team like that? Not only just say U.S. offices, but with your global footprint, what have you learned to to help manage that distributed team?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. I I think one of the things that I learned over the years is that it's all about communication and being able to communicate with your team. Uh, When you're not in the same office, you can't just stop by and stand next to the desk and say, hey, Have you done this and that? Did you hear about this? How are we doing about revenue reporting and stuff like that? So finding the way that your team members communicate the best and communicating with them in that method is the most effective. And I think the number one learning from this process. So I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. If one of your employees works best in text messages, Then you work with him on text messages. If the other one needs long emails and long explanations, you do that. And if a third one has a hard time with both of these and he needs a phone call. So you just pick up the phone and you call him and you complete whatever you're looking towards completion in that manner. And it sometimes seems strange because you say, okay, you're the manager, but still you adapt your communication skills to whoever you're communicating with. So my. Previous CF in, in the current company, he he basically taught me, if you want to get something done, make yourself communicate with the other side the way the other side responds best, and you'll be achieving the best. So leaving aside ego ego, you can just achieve much more. when when you do that.
2: Yeah, great point. And we'll get into your finance and accounting tech stack in a bit, but what tools are you you using for communication? I know you mentioned Zoom, anything else like messaging platforms, or what are those day-to-day tools that you're using to to communicate with your team?
0: As a corporate platform, we have Mattermost, which is similar to Slack, but I guess a bit more secure as us being a security company. Mm -hmm. We have to be very secure. I don't 100% understand that, but that's what they were that's what i was told we're also using i'm using uh whatsapp i don't know if you're familiar with that it's a text messaging app text you have skype for business and and literally any channel that works is a channel that i use of course email
2: yeah of course email yeah okay that's helpful because yeah a lot of tools a lot of platforms out there for communication messaging you're located in the u.s but you have a corporate headquarters sound like in switzerland Yep. So, say board meetings come up. So, let's talk about the numbers that you're presenting to your board. How often are you meeting with your board? And what are those key numbers that you're presenting and that your board members like to dive into?
0: I'm very lucky that I get to travel to Switzerland yep. every quarter. So, we have our board meeting once a quarter. We have the quarterly board meetings in our Schaffhausen office, which is our, our headquarters in Switzerland. It's a beautiful 17th century town that is alongside the lovely Rhine. I don't know if you've ever been there, but their largest waterfalls in Europe are in, in this town. So it's each time it's my wife tells me that she's not sure I'm going for work or I'm going for vacation because we were already there twice on vacation before I even started at Acronis. So it's an amazing site to be, but now to more specific on, on what we do. During which these board meetings we basically update the board on strategic items as well as review periodical finance information. And over the last several years, we, we continually developed the reporting package that includes a gap p and several KPIs that we track on a monthly basis. The KPIs include all the typical SAS stuff. And, and you, from anybody else in the world, I guess, uh, knows about this more than anyone else. We report the annual recurring revenue. Mm-hmm. We report the number of customers, the revenue per customers, and of course, net retention and churn. Those are the major ones that we track. For example, in the last board meeting, I was very proud that, to update the, the board, that our net retention rate was at a best in class level with an amazing 126%.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. So of course your financials get all that good stuff, but then it looks like you're focused on annual recurring revenue, number of customers, ARPU and then churn and retention rates of course. So you learn a little bit about the health of your recurring revenue. So just a real quick aside, your how what is your pricing model like? Is it recurring subscription, contracted ARR, is it usage, is it consumption? Tell us just a little bit about your revenue streams.
0: Our fastest growing and the one where we invest most of our time is our cloud product, CyberProtect Cloud, and that product is delivered in two different Go to markets. One go to market is with service providers and cloud distributors. And these service providers are charged on a monthly basis. And they can be charged either on storage or on, we call it workloads, but workload is is a virtual machine, is a server, is a workstation, is in Microsoft 365, email box. Those those are what we call workloads. Mm -hmm. So they can either do it on workloads or on data. And it's basically bill as you go or chart pay as you go. And the other go to market is with classical or typical to distribution channel, which is distributors and resellers. And there is now being sold. Our product is now being sold as a, as a subscription and paid in advance. Typically on a yearly basis, but sometimes we have two or three and even sometimes five years of uh, subscription contracts.
2: Okay, all right, interesting. So uh, a subscription model, the traditional you know con- contracted ARR, and then also the pay-as-you-go, which I'm guessing is more say a, a usage-based each month or consumption-based e- each month then.
0: Yep, and for the subscription portion of it, we are just in final stages We're about, I think 90% by now, done with the transition from perpetual to subscription model. So the company was about a year ago selling all our products on this channel in a perpetual model. And now everything has switched towards subscription.
2: Yeah, no, that's really interesting. If we have time in the end, maybe we'll address that because that comes up so often, just all the software companies that have been around moving from perpetual legacy pricing, the old way of doing things, and now to a yep. subscription-based model. So we'll see if we have time because that's such a common thing, but also so many great learning lessons come out of that. Not an easy thing to do. But first, before we get there, The Finance and Accounting Tech Stack getting a lot of attention lately. It's not just your general ledger anymore doing debits and credits, right? The Office of Finance needs a lot of technology now to scale with the organization, to keep pace with what's happening in the market, what's happening internally in our org. So tell us a little bit about... The, the key technology that you have in finance and accounting?
0: That's a very good question and point. When I joined the Cronus, I identified that we were missing several tools that could help us, the finance team, become a strategic partner to the company CEO and the executive team. On top of Acumatica, our modern and flexible ERP system, I'm particularly proud that we implemented Power BI as our reporting tool for analytics and operational metrics. As well as that, we have Adaptive, which we use to help us build robust budget plans and track budget versus actual. We also use CloudBlue, also known as OSA, which is an Ingram Micro billing and provisioning tool that we're in process of fully automating to improve our efficiency in billing in order to allow the company to scale with minimum increase in administration, sorry, administrative Mm -hmm. resources. We recently implemented SAP Concur to manage requisitions and the PO process. And the recent and last implementation that we did was Workday in order to help us manage the most important human resources.
2: Okay, yeah, interesting. So that's six software vendors that you mentioned there. So right, building on top of your ERP system, your base accounting system, Acumatica, you have Power BI for reporting analytics, Adaptive right for the budget planning, uh, forecasting, all that good stuff, and then Cloud blue for billing and provisioning. SAP Concur, interesting for the peel process. Do you have anything for travel and expense management? Do you use Concur as well or another platform?
0: No, tra- travel and expense um, comes built in with Acumatica. Okay. So we're using that as it's just cheaper and easier to use for us.
2: Okay, a lot of these tools, I assume like Power BI, Adaptive, Cloud Blue, those have hook-ins or integrations into Acumatica then to feed the, say to feed the data, like if you invoice out of Cloud Blue and then that feeds back into Acumatica.
0: We created automation into all of those Mm -hmm. and and connection integration between Acumatica and, and the rest of the tools that we're
2: using. Okay. Yeah, interesting. And one thing that's always interesting say, with this technology set and the processes within finance and accounting, how many days do you, what does it take to close your books? What do you shoot for as far as business days to close your books? 10 days. 10 days? Okay. All right. 10
0: days. It's something that wasn't this way before. So mm-hmm. when I joined, it was, I think a bit more than 20 something, 25 yeah. days. And we created a process. We eliminated unnecessary steps. We automated many processes in the way, and we implemented all the tools that we, I just mentioned that helped us to reach the point where now we can close at 10 days whenever we need.
2: Okay. That's fantastic. So basically a close that almost lasted all month. And now you've reduced that to about 10 days, which is fantastic. And I assume a little bit more complex with your global footprint, relying on data sources from different countries, different teams, et cetera, to to get all that together, to finally close the books each month. So really interesting.
0: And more than 30 legal entities around the world. So yeah,
2: consolidating all that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about your experience and looking at your profile, you had mentioned that you championed a BI initiative at Acrona, So I'd love to hear about that because that's a huge project, especially with with your footprint. So I'd love to hear how you approach that. Were you the project leader and just what did you do to make a project like that be successful?
0: So before answering your question, I wanted to share with you a story that connects me to this answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think almost everyone knows about Apollo 11 mission to the moon. One step for man, a giant leap for mankind. But did you ever think about the energy needed for this journey? Did you ever think about which part of the trip consumed the most energy? Was it the 239,000 miles to get there? Or the orbit around the moon? Or maybe landing on the moon and jumping off? None of these. The most amount of energy was actually the energy spent taking off, leaving the Earth's gravity. And to me, That symbolizes the energy needed to initiate change, change in an organization, change in a business model, or even implementing any major system. Over the years, Cronus had gone through, like I mentioned earlier, several changes. We changed from an on-prem product to a cyber protect that is cloud and based off of SaaS platform. We changed from a perpetual business model to a fully subscription model introduced advanced packs as a new way of selling products, layering on top of our standard product additional functionality for our customers. All this requires energy, planning, leadership, and professionalism. Same goes for the BI tool implementation. When I joined the Cronus, executives were using manual reports, took a long time to produce. They were ad hoc and not repetitive. It was clear that we had to change, evolve, and grow. So basically, we looked in people from the FPN team, the sales, the marketing, the ERP, as well as leaders from all over the organization, to agree that we need to work differently. That we needed a change. We reviewed various tools, and eventually selected Power BI.
1: It it was easy because we
0: we already had it available, being a Microsoft SQL Server user, so it might not be the most uh, lucrative tool out there, but for us, it was the most efficient and um, easiest to implement. And our goal was one source of data information to help management make the right business decisions. We defined success as the amount of usage of the reports, So anybody knows, I think anybody knows by now that you can create any kind of reporting system, but if nobody goes in there, if nobody uses the reports, it's a useless system. It just sits there and yeah, you invest a lot of time, but nobody uses it. So we wanted to make sure that the reports in the system are being used. And today I'm proud to say that Power BI became a second name to any analytic report needed in the company. So if you, Ben, wanna track the amount of customers that we have, or the amount of customers per service provider, and that report doesn't exist now, and you you simply go to that team and say, I need a Power BI report, that's how they call it. So, Mm -hmm. and and I love that. So it, it became a second name, as I mentioned. We have hundreds of active reports used by people throughout the organization, from department KPIs, and all the way up to the company overall scorecard.
2: Okay. Yeah, that's amazing. Down, now, do you remember how long that journey took from, say, project kickoff to producing those first live production reports? Months, so, years? That, that was not so
0: long. Like huh? from deciding that we want to do something until we had the first reports, the first reports, I think the first two, three, were months, not many months. Mm-hmm. Okay. But creating this kind of deep, deep involvement and deep usage and everybody in the company using this tool and making sure that everybody's using only that tool, that, that took time. That took more than a year, yep. most probably almost two years.
2: Okay. And then one thing I found like really helpful to be when implementing tech change within an org, right? You have your stakeholders from different departments. But then what about those administrators of the system? Say a power BI administrator, or or I loved when I had a CRM administrator that just could, could put action, change things internally versus looking for all these external resources to do this. So did you have a lot of administrator support to move this project along?
0: So the way, the way I, the way we did it and, and I think it's for us, it worked well, let's say it that way, when we initiated the project, we hired a dedicated BI manager and another one or two BI implementer, m- implementers. And we put that team under FPNA. So a- FPNA had control over the numbers beforehand. And now FPNA had control over the BI team. And the reason, two, two reasons for that. One, the knowledge of what is needed in many other areas of the company was with the FPNA team. And they were the heavy users of the ad hoc reports and the manual work. So if you get them convinced that this is the right way, moving forward, you've done a lot of of the work, maybe even 50% of the work after about a year, maybe a bit more than a year when we had more than tens, like maybe 50, 60, 70 reports, most of the organization already working and it started to become a pipeline of new reports and more and more additional reports for for different various sides of the company I moved that team from under the fpNA into the what we call systems team so the team that is responsible for all our system implementation and system maintenance and the reason for that is it became more of a, an engineering task versus a creation and implementation and starting it up and they're managing it today and managing it I think very amazingly because we have a pipeline for at least a year of work each time. Mm-hmm. And there's a selection of what are the most important reports and they they create what the business needs most at, in each quarter, but it's no longer under the finance organization. This is now under the system organization.
2: Yeah, that's that amazing insight from your experience. So hired a couple experts, technical experts in Power BI, put them in FP&A, you were in charge, and then once the system's in place, running nicely in production, then moving over them over to systems for the long term, and then a couple months to get your first production reports, but maybe a year really to cement this process, the system into your organization. And you mentioned finance and fp and the roll onto that subject next because you had mentioned that you had rebuilt the finance team at Acronis. So I was curious, what were those signs, maybe red flags that said, hey, I've got to reinvent this team. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that renovation of the finance team at Acronis.
0: I see one of my major roles as a CFO, as a leader in the company, to build the foundations that will help the company succeed. Setting the tools and processes we just talked about are important and critical. However, having the right team is as important. And when I look at my team, I see leaders that constantly look at ways to improve, managers and employees that have growth mindset, that embrace change and are not afraid of challenges. Leaders that look to inspire their team as well as their customers and partners. And with that in mind, I built the team and structure that is currently in place and is also fit to support the company as it scales and becomes three and four times larger. Specifically about the fp team, it includes three major areas, analysis and reporting, budget and control, and sales operations. And this team functions as one of the most important strategic partners in the company, helping leadership team make the right decisions based on analyzed data, in real time on a recurrent basis.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. So, okay, so FP&A team, three areas, analysis and reporting, budget and control, and then sales operations. And then just real quick about your forecasting process. I assume, do you forecast once a month and do you forecast for the fiscal year, or do you forecast a, uh, a rolling 12 months forecast for your business? So it it
0: depends on what time of the year we're at. So now we're in the budget process. We're looking at not only the next year, we're looking two, three years ahead and trying to forecast both the top line and the expenses that are needed in order to get there. Typically, our, our cycle goes that on a monthly basis, we look at the revenue forecast, we have a hand on the expense forecast, and then on a quarter basis, we try to see The full quarter plus how it looks until the end of the year and almost at any time we have some kind of a model on the side that helps us look at the next two, three years. So looking at the longer horizon, it's always there. And in every quarter that passes, we we update that and make sure that we're not in a situation where that we're going to miss something critical or undershoot or overshoot in any area.
2: Okay, yeah, makes sense. So you're forecasting that fiscal year, and then to the side, looking out a couple years, that strategic plan three-year forecast model, just to see where the company is going at a high level. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. So I want to wrap up with a final question here, because looking through your profile, and it sounds like some recent news actually on funding at Acronis. But in your profile, it said you met you led a 147 million dollar equity round, and really curious because that's big dollars. So was interested in understanding that due diligence process when we're talking a company of your size dollars that of that size for funding. What is the due diligence focus? Is it really digging into SaaS metrics, auditing your financials? You know, what, so what stands out in that round? And it sounds like maybe you announced just a, another funding round as well.
0: So th- this round was about two years ago and we, we, indeed, we recently uh, completed, it was May, May this year, May. 2021, an even larger round of more than $250 million at more than double the valuation that we had two years ago. The current valuation is more than $2.5 billion. In both of these processes, as well as the refinancing process that we did, it was reporting and analysis tools we implemented, as well as the FP&A and accounting structure changes that we just discussed that helped us the most. We had accurate data available with the right people to analyze and present it. That was the one of the main things. But in terms of the, the, the diligence process, yes, they dig deep into all the SAS metrics. They wanted to understand. They wanted to look at our waterfall. They wanted to see if how, how professional we are. So do we have a annual recurring revenue waterfall? Do we understand what it means, net retention rate, what the churn rate is, what the upsell is, what the new seller is, and and all those things that, that a SaaS company needs to look at. And I think the fact that we had those tools and the fact that my team had that knowledge in place already was one of the major elements for the success of these processes.
2: Interesting. So do you think at this size, less accounting related, right? Because your accounting, I'm sure, is super solid gap accounting. So it may be more about the analytics, the data, the financial profile. What are the numbers telling investors about the health and trajectory of your company? So maybe a heavy lift for your FP&A team, it sounds like, to provide all that, that uh, the analytics and reporting.
0: Don't misunderstand me, Ben. Uh-huh. You have to have the basics in place. Yep. The accounting has to work 100%. No mistakes, no problems. Closing on time, having all the reports, having everything available, that, that has to be. That's the basis. Without that, you can't move forward. Hmm. But that was in place for a while at Acronis. Hmm. And what we invested was in adding that additional layer of the right fp team, of the right BI tools, of the right analysis capabilities, and, and yes, the investors look first to make sure that everything is clean. They don't like dark boxes that mm-hmm. they don't under black boxes that they yep. don't understand what they're putting their hands into. But after that, they switch very fast towards being able to understand the business, being able to understand the growth trajectory of the unit economics. It's basic without mm-hmm. that, you won't be able to move forward.
2: Yeah, and Chahar, I love hearing you say that because it always starts with the accounting foundation and right, you're a large company, but the founders I work with more early stage Always starts there. We've got to start with the accounting foundation before we can get fancy with the SAS metrics, but without before we can get into forecasting, etc. It always starts starts with the accounting foundation and then moving forward. So it's great to hear that, even say at your size, accounting is still a foundation that has to be in place and continues to stay in place and continues to be a quality function. So, really interesting to hear that. So we're gonna wrap up here. Some amazing experience that you've had rebuilding finance departments, going through also M&A, acquiring companies, funding rounds. So I'd love to hear for our finance and accounting leaders in the audience, what's that one piece of advice that you would give them?
0: My advice would be, you're a strategic partner, business leaders. Yes, sometimes you have to crunch the numbers, fix the reports, and make sure everything ticks. But a significant part of your time needs to be invested in planning, anticipating, thinking, and strategizing as a true business and strategic partner to your CEO and leadership team.
2: Absolutely well said. So you heard it from Shahar, be a strategic partner that includes planning, anticipating, thinking, and being that partner to your CEO and executive team. So great stuff today. Shahar, thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about the SAS CFO, you can visit the SASCFO.com. And if you'd like to learn more about Acronis, you can visit acronis.com again, Shahar, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Ben. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Leaders of Modern Finance podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all the resources mentioned in today's episode at stamply.com leaders of modern finance thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes this episode is brought to you by stamply the most powerful way to process and pay invoices Stamply is the only Accounts Payable automation software that centers communication on top of the invoice so that Accounts Payable collaborates better with approvers, vendors, and anyone involved in purchases to quickly resolve issues and questions, resulting in 5x faster approvals. Contact us to see why users love Stamply and schedule a demo at stamply.com.